On this episode, we discuss a bunch of Android apps being called from the Play Store. Chris rounds up a bunch of Xbox Series X news, and we say goodbye to an infamous rocket man that previously we've spoke about on this show. Plus, we briefly cover Google Chrome versus Chromium Edge and Netflix having a new top 10 feature. This and more in this week's show. I'm David S. Dawson from the Intellectual Podcast, a show that spotlights creatives from all walks of life. Part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other incredibly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the Official Gonna Geek Show. I am Steven John Drew, possibly with some contraband right now, and I'm pleased to say that SP is here again this week. Woohoo! Spreaker is live. We're good to go, sir. And it is good to be back for another great episode of GoodAGeek.com. And you were once again preventing me from having to watch The Bachelor. Perfect. That's fantastic. But you know who else is prevented from having to watch The Bachelor? It's Chris Farrell. But it's not like because he's doing the show. It's just that The Bachelor specifically has legally prevented him from being allowed to watch it. There's a whole lawsuit involved with it. Hey, Chris. That's true. I'm just happy we're going to get copyright strike number two for the last two weeks. <laughs> That's an offline conversation, but yeah, possibly, possibly not. We are here indeed uh, with another episode of the Official Gunny Geek Show. We like to talk about a bunch of geeky news happenings, and sometimes we do a segment, sometimes we don't. This week, we got a whole bunch of new stuff to talk about, so there's no segment after the news this week, but oh, this is going to be a fun roundup because there is a couple of news points that we've got coming up that are going to be sort of multiple things all in one. And uh, hint, one of them may involve uh, XXX, Xbox X, uh, Xbox X series, whatever we're calling it now. Uh, and the other one may be a follow up to a story involving a certain flat earther. But before we get there, I wanted to take a moment right now to mention that we're part of the Gunna Geek Network. It's been a while since we've just danced a little bit about the Gunna Geek Network on this show. The Gunna Geek Network has an application process if you're interested in joining the network. If, if We are an open network. We're a bunch of fun hobbyists trying to get together to talk about geeky stuff on our podcast and just exchange fun banter with each other. So if you are looking for a geeky network for your podcast, feel free to apply. There is an application process, but also come by our Discord server uh, because we have lots of fun, geeky happenings over there at discord. Well, it's at uh, gunnageek.com slash discord. And you know, one of the best parts about that is when people tell SP that he's wrong. Happens all the time. I don't know why it's a surprise or why it's the best part of your day because it happens every day. <laughs> Remember, we did used to own the domain spiswrong.com. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I think I let that one last. So if someone else wants to pick it up, feel free. Now you don't want to view the site. It's uh, adult content. Oh, my. <laughs> but seriously, so they're going to talk about their Xbox Series XX. Seriously, come to Discord. Come to Discord at uh, gunnageek.com slash Discord and have fun over there. 
fun fact, people tell me that I'm wrong far more than they tell Chris or SP. That's the truth. That's the honest truth right there. And the reason for that is because more often than not, I am wrong. Chris Farrell, do you know what I'm not wrong about? Your love of Apple. That as well as my love of Android. I love both. I love them both almost equal. You love Windows more. Windows Phone no, set, no. 10 or whatever. I love Apple like almost more than I love Android. And Windows is just far down below. It's just the truth. It's the reality because I love Apple. Apple is the greatest products ever made. Do you love Apple more than you love Windows Vista? <laughs> oh, what about Windows ME? Oh, I love Apple more than both of them combined. Wow, that's a lot of love. I know. It's a but lot of love. When I am sometimes feeling a little bit risky, I'm feeling a little bit like maybe I should step back from this Apple ecosystem. I like to dabble in Android. Like I mentioned, I, I, I do like Android quite a bit as well. And so when I am feeling a little risky, I do go to Android. And I say that because the Android application vetting process in the uh, Google Play Store, I think is what it's called. I don't know. I'm new to Android. Is that what it's called? I, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All I know is when I set up my new 4K TV, it insisted that I join the Google Play Store and I insisted that I not. <laughs> and that battle took about 20 minutes. So anyways, uh, in this, quote, Google Play Store, it's kind of like the App Store for all of us wonderful Apple people. Uh, in the Android Google Play Store, they sometimes let applications in without checking them as much as on the Apple side of things. Well, here's the thing. The wonderful folks over at Google, not as wonderful as the folks over at Apple, but the wonderful folks at Google have done a little bit of housekeeping. In fact, they announced that nearly 600 apps were removed from the Play Store through a Google blog post. They said that this was due to violating its disruptive ads and disallowed interstitial policies. I don't know how you say that. But uh, basically, the long story short was that Google identified over 600 apps that were violating the policies of the Google Play Store, and they did remove the uh, these apps from being in there. Now, it's not clear if this was just one sort of ad company or ad system, but uh, yeah, 600 apps were removed from the Google Play Store for violating the policy. And, you know, for me, I look at this and I'm like, this is cool because they are identifying these and removing 600 applications. But then on the other hand, I go, this is usual of Android where they bulk remove these apps showing that their sort of removal process comes in big amounts and happens routinely routinely like this so until you get this big call it's still a little dangerous so it, to me i would like to see more often things happening and not have these big mass removals because it would show that they have more secure ongoing policies than just all right, big removal here. Wait a few months. Big removal here and and have this sort of security issue in between. I feel like Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes, they remove like 600 podcasts a week. 
sometimes a day just because the RSS feeds aren't working. They're broken. They kick them out. I think in the app store, 600 is not all that much. I mean, if you're going to be removing things is what's the approval process and does the approval process actually look at disruptive ads and interstitial policies? <laughs> well, according to some stuff we're seeing here, they have machine learning based solutions they're using to do this and also dedicated teams tasked with identifying developers who attempt to defraud the ecosystem. So it's a combination of machine learning development team and also users can report ads or applications rather that they think are violating these rules. I, I was looking at the PC mag article that Steven uh, linked to in his news and they give a good description of what they consider a disruptive ad as per Google quote, um, the Mountain View based company described these ads as quote, displayed to users in unexpected ways end quote, that impair or interfere with usability. Disruptive ads can appear in app, but they're also capable of surfacing while the user performs an action in another app. Google warns that full screen pop-ups could get delivered while trying to make a call or follow turn by turn navigation. So it's people that abuse the ability to push an ad through these applications. And when they get yanked, it's kind of a big deal because they've stated the developers behind all these malicious apps also get banned from ad mob, ad mob and ad manager. So uh, yeah, all your ways of serving ads through Google, you kind of just got them cut out from underneath you right there. That, that That's a big deal. So what you're saying is that the Google is the mob? Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, effectively, all of these companies that run these things are a mob <laughs> of their own type. Fair enough. Uh, I'm glad that you read that news article that I linked because I didn't see that part because I just skimmed, <laughs> I just skimmed the notes. That's all. Uh, no, but seriously, I do have concerns over this because of what I said. The fact that it seems like it's always in bulk removals. It, it's concerning to me. But the thing is here, we're not talking about ads that were damaging to you that were leaking PII, anything like that. We're talking about ads that abuse, excuse me, apps that abuse the ad serving capabilities. So while that's annoying from a security standpoint, I don't go, oh man, I should really be sweating the fact that I could have installed application X or application Y because it's not giving up my personal information. So I'm less concerned in that regard. This is more of Google forcing developers to play nice in their ecosystem and say, hey, if you want to serve ads, you need to do it our way, not in this way that disrupts the base interaction of a user with an Android phone. Well, I'll just go ahead and say that for, for this reason and many others, I am very, very happy that I am a dedicated Apple user. You never hear about mm -hmm. these stories coming out of Apple. So uh, that's the, all I got to say about that. The interesting thing I saw in this article is uh, Google's senior product manager for ad traffic quality control. That's a hell of a title there. <laughs> confer more than 4.5 billion installations of these malicious apps. He did not name the apps or their developers, however. But you can go and look through the App Store and see who's gone. Excuse me, Google Play Store. App Store is trademarked <laughs> by Apple. And one of those companies was Cheetah Mobile, which is evidently a publicly traded company that had 45 apps removed from the Play Store. And it's no longer listed in the ad network. So uh, those that got busted, they got the hammer dropped on them. Well, all I know is that I am more happy than ever that my wonderful, wonderful Apple Pixel 2 is, is an Apple product. Huh. I would love to see a review on the Apple Pixel 2, Stephen. Speaking of Apple, so those long-term listeners of the GunnaGeek.com show might have heard the story that my daughter's iPhone 8 
battery was going bad and instead of replacing the battery and then it might not go great because we've had that issue with iPhone six and successes that we decided to get the iPhone 11 pro. However, my sister was rocking a iPhone six. This is not the iPhone six. This is another iPhone six that I had. So I sent it off to Apple. It actually traveled to Cupertine. It was within the, you know, the donut, the glass donut. And they replaced the battery. They shipped it back. And then I shipped it to her. Coincidentally, today is her birthday. Happy birthday, sister to SP. And so she gets the phone out and she's not a techie person. Not at all. And she's like, well, how do I change out my phone? So I'm trying to talk her through tech support over the phone on how to transfer her phone to the new phone. We were able to do it through the Bluetooth or the Wi-Fi or whatever, however it does it, one of those things. And then she's like, well, how do I activate the phone? Now, how over the phone do you describe taking a safety pin, putting it into the little notch where the SIM card is, pushing down, taking the SIM card out of her old phone, and then I just dropped it, and then putting the SIM card into the new phone. How, well, how do you describe that? Were you FaceTiming or were you on a regular audio call? No, it was regular audio. And okay. mind you, she's transferring the phone. So I can't communicate with her after a certain point. It's all just text. And then yeah. it's whatever text she has and that well, she's got to go over it. If you have SMS texting capability, I would send a picture sticking a paperclip in that hole and say, do this. <laughs> so that's what I tried to do. I tried to take a video of me <laughs> sticking a pin in the SIM card hole. And do you know how hard it is to do one-handed to do the SIM card thing? I'm sure. <sighs> right there, so, right? That, that's the one that you put the uh, the pin in. Is that correct? No, not the 30 well, pin. Well, you could, but port. then you would get a little bit of a jolt. <laughs> So just to make sure that nobody's in suspense for a week, she did, in fact, uh, figure out how to transfer the SIM card over. And then she didn't even have to call her carrier, which was T-Mobile, by the way. My phones are Verizon. Her phone is on T-Mobile. And she was able to make that transference without doing anything with the carrier. So I'm a little worried about that, but she's got a new phone now. So there. Well, I just got to say from one Apple user to another, uh, I had confidence that you were indeed going to solve that problem because let's be honest, us Apple users, we're just, we're just a little, a little peg above the rest. What is that? An iPhone 3GS? That's, an iPhone, That's a four. Is an iPhone four with an iPad original. iPad one. IPad yeah. one, yeah. Which so. is not even officially supported anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Does it even turn on? Uh, for the audio listener, I was holding up Apple technology and caressing it. Something that uh, is rare, very rare. But if you want to check what, that out, what you are you can talking about? At goodgeek.com/show. I oh, yes, right. I'm the Apple guy now. Let's go ahead though and move on to something that is a little more somber. Uh, it's a follow up to someone we've talked about previously, right, SP? Yes, it is a both pleasure and it is with great regret that we have to have this story. I, there's two versions of this story that are out now because it has been a couple of days. But the first one is about our pal, our flat earther pal, Mad Mike Hughes. He was more of a daredevil than a flat earther, but he was a flat earther. He launched last week and he did not survive the launch. 
Yes, he did die in the launch attempt. So here's the news story that I pulled from space.com, and it was written by Tariq Malik. Daredevil Mad Mike Hughes died Saturday, February 22nd, during his latest attempt to launch into the sky in a homemade rocket powered by steam. Hughes was 64 and was attempting to launch the rocket to 5,000 feet into the air from a location near Bartstow, California, in a rocket he built with partner Wado Stakes. I do not know if he actually launched from his converted RV, but that's what he did the last time. The Science Channel, which was filming the launch attempt as part of the future documentary series Homemade Astronauts, confirmed Hughes' death to Space.com. Hughes has repeatedly tried to launch homemade rockets and actually did a launch earlier in 2018. During that flight, he reached a maximum height of 1,875 feet. And during that launch and recovery, Hughes suffered compressed vertebrae, but still aimed to launch even higher. Attempts to launch this current steam rocket in August of 2019 were prevented by a faulty water heater. Yes, he bought a water heater off of eBay, I believe, or maybe Craigslist, and it just didn't work, and therefore he couldn't get any steam. Hughes and Stakes made up one of three different teams working to build and launch their own rockets while being filmed for the Science Channel's Homemade Astronaut series. The teams were shooting to get as close as possible to the Kármán line, which is a boundary about 62 miles above the Earth that dictates the Earth from space. The Science Channel series is being produced by World of Wonder. It is currently in production and will premiere sometime in 2020. You know, I feel like it was just yesterday that you were talking about the water heater, but I guess that was a while ago now, hey? It was back in August. Yeah, that's four or five months ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you've talked about him a few times. I, obviously, the loss of all life is is sad. But I have to say, like, you know, I think we we predicted that this was going to happen. Unfortunately, when you have someone like this that is constantly pushing personal, I, I don't know, safety concerns like this, you're kind of, your odds are stacked against you. Um, But the thing that I found really interesting about this specific thing was I remember hearing about the previous launch and where he hurt himself and whatnot. I think you talked about it on here. I was surprised to see him go again after that because I remember, I think when it happened, we had said, well, I guess he's done now uh, because it sounded like quite a serious injury. But Stephen, if the Science Channel is going to come document it and give you a platform for the ridiculousness that you want to talk about, you're probably going to do it. So there's a there's a question here that's been going around Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, things like that of Science Channel was giving him a platform. What kind of responsibility, excuse me, responsibility does Science Channel play in this? I don't know. I don't necessarily know if they do, because it was the FAA that allowed the clearance to launch. Yeah, that's also kind of concerning. <laughs> there is another part to this story, but before we get to that, I just want to back up a second since we're talking about safety. A lot of our listeners might be NASCAR fans, and if they're not, let me explain to you a little bit of what has happened in the past couple of weeks and what happened about 20 years ago. So in February 2001, 
NASCAR runs its annual race in Daytona. And in the last lap of that race, Dale Earnhardt, not Dale Earnhardt Jr., but Dale Earnhardt himself hit the wall hard while trying to race to the finish line. And he died because the car was not equipped with all the safety equipment to prevent his head from whipping around. So he died of injuries sustained immediately during that crash. This past couple of weeks, there was another Daytona 500 as there is every February. And in the last lap of that race, Ryan Newman had a tremendous accident, which included him ramming into the wall, very similar to what Dale Earnhardt did. But then he was hit broadside by another car and he tumbled upside down and was basically dragged by the car. I mean, he was inside the car, but the car dragged on its roof for like most of the track until it finally came to a stop and it was flaming and they had fuel that was coming out of it. He survived and he survived because of the safety equipment that was installed in that car since the 2001 accident. There has not been a NASCAR fatality on the track since then. Brian Newman literally walked out of the hospital two days after this wreck that if you saw it on TV or on Twitter or YouTube, everyone went, oh my God, how is he still alive? The dude literally walked out of the hospital under his own power with his kids two days later. It's incredible. The science in going into how to keep drivers safe in NASCAR. He, he does have a head injury and it has not been made public as the time of this recording, but I assume it's a concussion that's keeping him. Yep off the track but he survived and he survived because of the technology in the car and i think because of this crash because it was a double crash where he hit the wall at 200 miles an hour and then another driver hit him broadside at 200 miles an hour the car safety mechanism as it went into the wall kind of crumpled a little bit and then the car that hit him then further crumpled the car so the car is really only designed to take the first hit it wasn't designed to take two hits i suspect nascar will review its safety in the cars and make sure the cars can withstand two hits of that speed at speed. Right. And I was, I was actually listening to one of uh, the sports talk radio shows I listened to in the morning and they had a NASCAR former driver come on and say, it wasn't the first hit that was as scary. It was the second hit where he took a direct hit in the driver's side door because he goes, here's what you guys need to know. It's arguably the weakest point in the car is that door because where a window would be in an actual car. It's just netting, and they reinforce the door around that, but it's just netting that's there for a driver to pull down and go out. So that was the scariest part, that he took a direct shot in what was the weakest part of the car. Why is this important for this story? It's because Mad Mike did not have the same equivalent safety standards in his rocket. So he launched up to about 5,000 feet. The parachute did not deploy. At that point, you become ballistic. And... When you're in free fall without any aerodynamics, you're free falling at about 120 miles an hour, which is less than a NASCAR. I have no idea what the ballistic trajectory was of this launch. I haven't looked at the flight profile of it. I'm assuming he careened into the earth a little bit faster than 120 miles an hour. I just don't know how fast, but you can consider it a similar collision as the NASCAR collision. And had he had enough structure to crumple into the cockpit of that rocket, he might have survived that crash. But this is the issue when you're dealing with a Zephyrin Cochrane sort of home-built solution 
is that it might not be up to safety standards as you're launching. I was going to say, I don't know that there necessarily may have been safety standards that were followed since it was homemade rocketry, for lack of a better term. I don't know what role the FAA plays in saying, yay, verily, launch your homemade rocket. Well, and that, that's, you know, the point that I was sort of thinking about there when I, when I was saying it's sort of not unexpected it is because of the fact that the water heater thing, if you are having problems with, with your hot water tank, <laughs> and that, that's a core piece of your, your whole mission that you're on and what you're building, where is the corner cutting also happening for like the safety and whatnot? So, you know, like I said, it, it it's sad uh, that this happened. I hope that there's something that is learned from this, though. And I don't know. Maybe Chris is right. Maybe there is some form of regulations that need to be revisited before things are authorized, or or maybe it is something to do with should big companies like the Science Channel or whoever it is being encouraging this sort of thing. Like I don't know. I, there's a lot of questions that are still to be answered. I think one thing that would be mandatory in this type of situation would be a secondary parachute but or an emergency chute the problem is if you're in a rocket and you're traveling up to 5,000 feet that's a mile up and if the chute doesn't deploy as you're coming down that mile and you're going pretty fast i don't know if you have time for that emergency chute but yes safety standards should be looked into the next article just came out a few hours ago on science or on space.com and it was titled Mad Mike Wasn't Trying to Prove Flat Earth Theory on Ill-Fated Homemade Rocket Launch. And this was an article that was posted by Chelsea Gaud on the space.com. And this is important for this discussion. I don't want to leave this open-ended to say this was in an attempt to prove flat earth. So the article progresses and says in 2018, Hughes successfully launched to 1,875 feet in an earlier version of the same homemade rocket. But while that launch was a success, he told Space.com in a 2019 interview that he landed pretty hard in the Mojave Desert. And this hard landing even caused him to get a compressed vertebrae. Especially with a difficult, painful landing under his belt, Hughes was aware of how risky the daredevil feat was. Quote, it's a dangerous thing to do. Anything going wrong could be catastrophic, unquote. He built the rocket himself with the help of his partner, Waldo Stakes, as part of the show. The Science Channel has yet to comment on whether or not production will continue on the show that set out to highlight amateur teams working to reach incredible altitudes. Quote, this is a 50-50 deal. When you climb inside the rocket, there's a 50% chance that you're not going to climb back out of it. Mike is a daredevil and he's willing to take the risk. Unquote. That was a statement by Waldo Stakes. Now, Stakes and Hughes meant for this launch to be a stepping stone to the creation of what they called their Rocktoon, which was a combination of a rocket and balloon. The Rocktoon would work by means of a balloon taking a rocket up fairly high into the air, about 20 to 25 miles, where it would disconnect from the rocket which would soar to the Kármán line, or the line signifying the beginning of space. The passenger, who was going to be Hughes, would then return to Earth via the help of a parachute. Now, in a 2017 documentary about the Daredevil entitled Rocket Mad, Mad Mike's Mission to Prove the Flat Earth, 
You stated, quote, I am not going to take anyone else's word for it or NASA or especially Elon Musk with SpaceX. I'm going to build my own rocket right here and I'm going to see it with my own eyes what shape this world we live on, unquote. However, in the 2019 interview with Space.com, Hughes clarified, quote, although I do believe the Earth is flat, this was never an attempt to prove that, unquote. Quote, this flat Earth has nothing to do with the steam rocket launches. It never did. It never will. I'm a daredevil, unquote, he added. He additionally shared that he wanted to launch, quote, to inspire people, unquote. And yes, I could see uh, somebody taking a converted RV. And if you've ever seen it, it's, it's not polished. It's not something that looks like it's from a corporation like Space dot, SpaceX. It looks like it's from a dilapidated RV park. And slap a steam rocket on it with a water heater from Craigslist. I mean, if you think that that is homemade hobby rocketry, and it will inspire people. Yeah, it, it actually might inspire people. You know, I watched the movie The Rocket Boys, and that is very similar to my own origins. So I can see that sort of stuff. But you got to take a step back. The Rocket Boys was never about launching a person. It was just about the science behind rocketry and getting a rocket high up in the altitude at, at a high school student level. It was not about launching a high school student high up in the air and then the safety factors of it. So yeah, I hope he inspires people. I hope he inspires STEM, which is the science and technology and engineering sort of uh, schooling and professions in people. I hope he inspires people to be adventurous, but I also in his last flight, I hope he inspires people to look at the safety factors as well. We've seen safety be a prime concern in the Boeing and SpaceX manned space flight capsule development here, and we've seen things go wrong, and we've seen things go wrong without a human on board. Unfortunately, Mad Mike was on board here. I just wanted to make sure I put that second article in to say this rocket launch was not about the flat Earth. And although we poked a lot of fun at flat Earthers on this show, and yes, the Earth is not flat. It wasn't about the flat earth. I think it was a sideshow. It was something that got him press that probably wouldn't have gotten these rocket launches press before. The, so we all know that the earth is not flat, but we do know that it it's shaped like an echo dot. We do know that. I'm pretty sure that that the earth is is not round, but it's not flat. It's like an echo dot. Look, all of his uh, flat earth opinions is probably what brought Science Channel right to his door to be like, hey, we want to be involved in televising this circus on TV. Mm -hmm. The earth is like a pear. And yeah, you're right about Mad Mike, Chris. It was just a publicity stunt to I mean, he's six. And the other thing is he was 64. I mean, 64 year old retired people, they can do whatever they want. And who did he hurt just himself unless he inspires the wrong type of person? You said that uh, when you're 64, you're old, you're retired, and you can do what you want. Can you also play Xbox? Why, sure, Stephen. Anyone can. Gaming is for everyone, and gaming is inclusive. Perfect. Well, I'm glad that you have some Xbox stories then right now. It's Xbox story time with Chris. 
So this morning, uh, Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox, posted a blog post that was entitled, What Can You Expect from the Next Generation of Gaming? Where he laid out Microsoft's upcoming plans for the Xbox Series X. That is their new next-gen console that will be deploying this holiday season. Now, we were expecting a lot of these reveals to come around E3 this time of year because, hey, Sony's not participating in E3 and Nintendo is presumably not launching a new console, so it's Microsoft's show. But instead, Phil Spencer gets out ahead of things and started dropping some knowledge on what's coming with the new console. So let's go through what was in the blog post, talk about hardware, some of the cool software things that are coming up, and what it could mean for gamers overall. So in regards to hardware, he talked about including a custom processor leveraging AMD's latest Zen 2 and RDNA 2 architectures. The Xbox Series X will also feature a GPU capable of 12 teraflops performance, which is twice that of the Xbox One X and eight times that the original Xbox One, meaning they jammed a bunch more graphical power within this. And when people started trying to look at what was comparable to hardware you could buy out there for a PC, it's somewhere equivalent to a mid-range or low high-end range graphics card is what this is capable of pushing out in console format. As mentioned during the system's announcement, the console will support up to 120 frames per second gaming, so investing in a faster television or monitor could be worthwhile for you. And in case anyone was worried about ray tracing, the Series X supports DirectX ray tracing, so the console won't be missing out on that video buzzword that none of us really know what that means other than the fact that it sounds cool. But let's get past the hardware. Let's talk about some of the cool features that they announced that would be coming to this, the first of which is something called Quick Resume which will allow players to suspend multiple games at once, resuming on the fly with no loading screens. Meaning, I, I pause my game of Mass Effect, I close the Xbox, I play two or three other games, I say, oh, I want to play Mass Effect again. I hit a button, I go up, it launches Mass Effect, there's no load screens, I'm right back into where I left off with that game. That is awesome if they can pull that off. There's two reasons why it's awesome. Number one, that sounds like a wonderful uh, a feature to have because I love quick resume on all sorts of things. But number two, it's called quick resume. And as we all know, Apple had a product called QuickTime. So they both share the word quick. Thus, it's fantastic inherently. See, my issue with this is it's quick resume. But if you have to download an update when you resume, it's going to take a day and a half. Well, th these updates should take place in the background, similarly to what they do if you configure your current gen Xbox ones appropriately. Like when I have an update, I have it just set up to download and by about 1 a.m. It goes, oh, there's an update, downloads it, installs it in the background. So, but 1 a.m. is when I'm playing. Well, you could probably schedule it for whenever you choose it to choose for it to occur. I don't know how flexible that system will be, but they do all the current consoles do software updates in the background. So I'm not sure how much of a problem that actually is, but you do raise an interesting point of how a software update would impact a quick resume if you were playing a game that had a patch that was issued to it. Fair point. I'm looking forward to this next generation console and the graphical uh, horsepower that's on board and everything else. I still have an Xbox 360, actually two, hooked up to systems in the house. I still play Mass Effect and Halo on them, although I play them on the Xbox ones and uh, I'm looking forward to what this next generation console is. I'm wondering how long this next generation console is going to be on the market before they go to the next generation. 
because Xbox One came out after a long-standing Xbox 360 run. Uh, I mean, an Xbox One X or the Xbox One family has been out since 2011, I want to say. Okay, so another 10-year run. Yeah, I mean, and there is an argument Microsoft is positioning themselves for the post-console world where everything lives in the cloud. We're not there yet. We've talked about it before on this show. Infrastructure is a problem. We've made fun of Google Stadia. But remember, Microsoft's got a bunch of data centers too. And part of what they've been doing is testing their Project xCloud capabilities of which you can sign up and be a beta tester. And it's fairly impressive so far. So Microsoft's long-term plan is to move away from having massive hardware in your home theater, but more having just a dumb box that hooks to the internet, I think, is their, is their final intended plan which fits in with what they're doing with game pass which basically says hey you pay i think it's nine or 20 bucks a month i can't remember but you have access to this unlimited back catalog of games that includes all first party microsoft games the day they launch so there is a plan for what microsoft is doing i just don't think we're seeing it all yet because they're a few steps ahead of where people are thinking about conventional video game consoles in this dumb box, does that mean that Steven's going to be shipped to your house in a box and then you'll have to put it on your entertainment system? We'll call him Awesomeo, just like in South Park. You know, there's, there's an SNL skit that tells all sorts of things about what's inside the box that I've got for you, SP. Oh, my. Oh, my. I think I stopped watching SNL about 20 years ago. But that's about the time that this skit was on TV. So there you that go. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> you, you would know this skit that Justin Timberlake sang about something in a box. Oh, Justin Timberlake? No, no, I did not watch that. <laughs> uh, it became kind of a cultural phenom. I, we can't sing that song on this show, though. But let's go to the other <laughs> type of box, the Xbox. And uh, what else is going on with Xbox X? So they did also announce a new feature for Xbox Series X. This is called Smart Delivery, which effectively sounds like a user-friendly way of supporting cross-generation Xbox One and Series X games. Smart Delivery, quote, empowers you to buy a game once and know that whether you're playing it on the Xbox One or the Xbox Series X, you're getting the right version of that game on whatever Xbox you're playing on, end quote, said Microsoft in the blog post. So the point of Smart Delivery is that users can purchase a title once in order to play the best available version for whichever Xbox console they choose to play on. So for instance, when Halo Infinite comes out this holiday season, which is coming to both the current and next-gen consoles, if you had an Xbox One in your bedroom, it will download the Xbox One version. You could play it there, save your game, it's backed up in the cloud, go out to your living room, and then you could play the Xbox Series X version, which is arguably more intensive graphically, looks prettier, and just pick up your save game where you left off. This means that cross-generation first-party games will essentially be cross-buy. You can buy a game once and play it on any Xbox console you have in the house, be it Xbox One or Xbox Series X at no additional cost. This is kind of cool. Because remember, one of the problems we ran into with this last generation is everyone put out games for the Xbox 360 and then the Xbox One came out and you could buy literally the exact same Call of Duty game for $10 more only the only difference being it was sort of engineered to work better on the Xbox One. And that's how they caught some people in mid-generation. Some people were buying two copies of Madden, two copies of Call of Duty Ghosts or whatever, because they wanted to play with their friends. This is an interesting move. And Microsoft has essentially said every first-party game that comes out from Microsoft Studios, this is going to be how they present it. You can play it on any Xbox, and it will be part of Game Pass as well. 
So that means Halo Infinite, when it drops, if you're a Game Pass subscriber, the day it comes out, you can start playing it as part of your subscription. Instead of dropping 60 bucks, it's part of your monthly subscription, and it'll play on any version of your Xbox, well, any version of the Xbox One and Series X family. It will not go back to the 360 and the original Xbox, obviously. <laughs> that's, that's a cool idea, and I got to give them credit for this and some of the other things that they've done actually in the past with, with their game distribution, um, first-party games. I really like this. I think that this is a problem that you run into at the onset of a new console because you do see people who do still have a big bunch of friends with the previous generation because not everybody is able to upgrade or wants to upgrade right away. And so you got people who are wanting to adopt the new game on the new platform, but they also don't want to lose their their fun with their friends. So they, they got to buy both. So this is great. And I think also right in line with that cloud idea that you were mentioning that they're building towards. I think that this is this is exactly them getting those dominoes in a row. Right. And so like I mentioned, smart delivery is going to apply to all first party games. They did open it up so that third party developers and publishers can quote, choose to use smart delivery, for excuse me, choose to use smart delivery for titles that will be released on Xbox One first and then come to Xbox Series X later, end quote. So what does this mean? Third party games could be like, hey, you bought this game on Xbox One. Well, now the Xbox uh, Series X came out four months later. We're going to use smart delivery and make it so that you can play the exact same game, but with the graphical enhancements on the new Xbox. And why is this important? Uh, there's a little company you guys might have heard of called CD Projekt Red, the makers of the Witcher series, but also the makers of the upcoming Cyberpunk 2077 game that a lot of people have been excited about. They posted a tweet on Twitter, obviously, where they said, Gamers should never be forced to purchase the same game twice or pay for upgrades. Owners of Cyberpunk 2077 for Xbox One will receive the Xbox Series X upgrade for free when available. So other companies can jump on this as well, meaning if you buy a game before the new console generation comes out and they then choose to make use of smart delivery, you then get the upgrade at no additional cost. It's similar to what we've seen with the Xbox One and the Xbox One X upgrades where Developers could optionally put out additional 4K graphics that, or updates that you could download for those consoles to make things display better. And they're kind of extending that model here. This is awesome. And this is really cool for people that decide to stay in the Microsoft Xbox ecosystem. It means I can buy this game. And if my developer is not shady, so meaning EA will probably never do this for any of their games, you then get a free upgraded version of that game on your Xbox Series X when slash if you upgrade in the future. That is awesome. That is super cool. And I don't know that uh, there's going to be a bunch of companies that are as cool as CD Projekt Red. They're like, yeah, buy the game once. We just want you to play it. I I'm pretty sure EA probably won't do it. And if I'm wrong, please feel free to come back and cite this episode, say a year from now, folks, and be like, Chris, you are wrong. And I will happily eat crow because I would love to be wrong in this regard with Electronic Arts. I think it's going to be a year from now. I think it's going to be like five to ten years from now that this will be an issue. Maybe. I question how many third-party developers will actually do this. I, I, I genuinely do because I, I think that money is going to talk and they're not going to have a ton of incentive to do smart delivery because what are people going to do? Not play their game? No, if they have a hot title, they're going to play the game. What are they going to do? I'm fine. I'm not going to play it on Xbox. They're still getting the money. There, there's an, it's a no-win situation if you have a successful 
title. Sorry, it's an, it's no loss to them if they have a successful title to not do smart delivery. So I think you're going to see a lot of greedy people like EA. I like how we're throwing EA out there, even though we don't know. <laughs> but it's a good example because of the business practices they've employed before. And we don't need to go down that path on this show. We've talked about on this show multiple times. I've talked about all things good and nerdy multiple times. EA's business practices are not exactly pro-gamer. They're pro-microtransaction and pro-them making money. That's neither here nor there. One important caveat to remember, though, is they did say Series X will play all Xbox games, meaning original, 360, Xbox One, and Series X. In theory, if the game never came to Series X, you could still buy the Xbox One version and be able to play that on your Series X device. You would get limited enhancements because it's better hardware, but you would still be playing with everyone else that was playing in the Xbox Live community. Would you, though? How's Live going to interact? Will the Xbox Series X Live be the same as the Xbox One Live, or are you going to need to actually have the one console? Because One Live, One Live was not the same as 360 Live. But I've played games that were 360 games on my Xbox One against people who are on their 360s playing it. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Like Halo 3, when that was not Halo 3, Mass Effect 3 had a multiplayer component. I was playing it on my Xbox One. Other people were playing on their Xbox 360s. This is years after it came out, obviously. But live is live. It doesn't matter. Okay. That, that might have been a bit different when we went from the original Xbox, the Xbox 360. But from the 360 onwards, you can pretty much play across any of the consoles on those games that supported backwards compatibility. All right. Well, before you get to your last little point here about Xbox, I do have a question for you, though. Why do we think that the Cybertruck is going to last to 2077? Because you said it was Cybertruck 2077. Is that what you said it was called? I would not be shocked to see the Cybertruck make an appearance of some kind in <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077. I honestly would not. Uh, going back to the blog post fo posted by Phil Spencer, the Series X will also use something called dynamic latency input to ensure fast and responsive wireless controller responses which could be cool, reduce latency when it comes to wireless controllers. And finally, Microsoft has been working with TV makers in the HDMI forum to harness features like variable refresh rate, syncing, syncing TV, and gameplay, fr gameplay frame rates to avoid jaggies and screen tearing. Caveat, it will require use of things using the HDMI 2.1 spec, of which I do not think there are many devices that are using HDMI 2.1 at this point in time. That's what I had read at one point in time. I did not have a chance to go back and confirm that. So you will only see these enhancements and the TV being smart enough to auto switch to gaming mode if you're using the right version of HDMI on your uh, devices, which could be an arguably a cool thing because if you guys aren't aware, TVs do a lot of processing of their own unless you disable it. When you put it onto video game mode, it basically disables all of the rendering that's done on your TV or any post-processing work there and just takes the raw signal from your console, which reduces latency. In today's world, you have to remember to turn that off or program it as part of your Logitech Harmony routine. What Microsoft wants to do here is basically using HDMI 2.1 spec, make the TV smart enough to receive a signal from the Xbox that says, hey, switch to your uh, video game input automatically so a gamer doesn't have to remember to do that. That's kind of cool. Well, I have to say that I am, I'm excited about this, but I'm, I'm not sure when I'm going to buy buy it because it looks like it's going to be quite a nice thing but it's probably going to be pretty pricey I, I'm, from what <laughs> it took you until last year to buy I, an xbox it's one true it's true but i also 
wasn't into gaming with kids before or without having kids. And now I've got kids that are into gaming and I hardly ever play it. And, and when I got it, I said that I got it mostly for the kids. So gaming's more on my mind now because I used to be a gamer, but every time I tried to find time to be a gamer, I always had other things I wanted to do. So um, with having kids, it's a little bit different of a priority. And uh, people at Geeks.Live, I did run a bit of a poll. And it was the question was, are you going to get an Xbox Series X? And it was 20% uh, saying, yep, upon launch. 40% said eventually. 20% said no. 20% said I'm not sure. And nobody voted for where's Pong. That's disappointing. So in all honesty, if you were in the market for a game console and you have an Xbox One right now, I don't think there's a great rush to upgrade at launch, considering Microsoft has made a point of saying all first party games will play across mm -hmm. the Xbox family. If you've got an original Xbox One or you're ready to upgrade, sure, go for it. But there's not really. And this is where people get really confused. There's not really a compelling reason to make, oh, my God, I have to buy this on day one. When some people look at that as a huge flaw to Microsoft's plan, and I guess I could see where they're coming from. From my point of view, I'm looking at it more of this is a gamer friendly move, which is, hey, if you want to play Halo on day one, you don't have to buy the new Xbox because let's be honest, it would be a system seller because it's Halo. They're making it so it plays across the entire family and they continue to build this library of games through the Game Pass subscription service. That is Microsoft's big differentiator going forward. You know, the bigger concern that I have, uh, nothing to do with that cross compatibility, is the xCloud because of the fact that so far, favorable reviews overall, uh, we've been seeing Microsoft over the last couple of years shift their pricing model to be more subscription based. And they're taking a bit of loss to get people into that. Uh, probably, probably a loss compared to what they're getting before. But we are seeing them make some specific chess moves here to work towards this. And if you're like, let's say we're five years off from them having a reliable uh, cloud version. And I'll be honest, I think I think five is far. But let, let's say that it's five years off. Do you really want to put your money into this right up front? When you you only got to bide your time for five years before we're into this new thing. Yes, there are dedicated gamers, but when you look at all the variables, I think there's some people who would be waiting. And again, I think five years is is, is far for compared to what we're seeing. So it's interesting. Microsoft does understand there's going to be people that are in that same uh, uh, train of thought. I couldn't get the words out there for a second. And we didn't talk about it on this show. I thought to have it as a news point, and I never brought it up. But just in passing, did you guys know they were doing a hardware and uh, Xbox Live subscription model that you could do? No, I didn't. What? So effectively, you could, and I just pulled up the article on PC World, you can get an Xbox One X, pay $30.99 for 24 months. It gives you the console, 24 months of Game Pass Ultimate, and then a 12-month console upgrade option when the subscription runs out. You can use the Xbox One S for $22.99 for 24 months or the Xbox One S all digital for $19.99, which includes Game Pass on all of those. So effectively, you're saying for $31, $23, or $20, bucks, you can get the hardware, get Game Pass Ultimate, which has a boatload of games on it, and then in 24 months, you have a 12-month upgrade window where you can say, hey, Xbox One X, or Xbox Series X, rather, is out. I'm ready to upgrade. Let me roll this over and buy it that way. 
So that gets you to the next generation, and it's kind of a preview of things to come when they eventually get to having this excuse me, cloud-based infrastructure where they want you to say, hey, pay 30 bucks a month, you get the entire back catalog of Xbox games, and you can play it wherever you are and whatever device you have. They're building towards that right now by basically subsidizing hardware in a subscription model. It's fascinating where they're going with it. That's amazing because I just looked it up and the Xbox Xbox Game Pass Ultimate is 15 bucks a month. That yeah. seems like really, really questionable to not do that. And then you pay an extra 15 bucks a month for an Xbox One X if you wanted to, for instance. So 30 bucks a month, you get their best console until this new one launches with Game Pass Ultimate that includes all first-party Microsoft games and a boatload of back catalog games from Xbox One, Xbox Original, and uh, Xbox 360. It's a very interesting model, mm-hmm. and I can see where they are building towards this in the future to go. I, I am very excited where Phil Spencer is taking the Xbox division at Microsoft right now. SP, what's your thoughts on this? On the subscription specifically, it sounds a lot to me like what a lot of people have transitioned to do with their cell phones, where they go into the carrier for a two-year, three-year deal, and they pay off their phone, their $1,500 phone over the course of two years. It sounds very similar to that, and at the end of the two years, they have to get a new phone, so they're right back into that subscription model. And I think there's just a bunch of things in life right now that people are wanting to do that because they just can't keep up with the tech refresh out there. I, I in the last month, bought my first 4K TV. I still have some CRT TVs in the house. Do I use them? No, but it's very difficult to keep a household of brand new tech from cars to phones, to TVs, to digital assistants, to computers, and buy it cash on the dollar. So I just think that, especially this younger crowd, which might not have the cash available for a $500 to $1,000 gaming system, I just see this as taking off because they're already used to it with phones. And... TV and streaming and stuff like that. Everything is in this model, like you were mentioning. My Netflix is this way. My cable television is this way since I transitioned over. This is the model people are getting used to, and they can say, hey, I don't care about this service. I'll cut it off, and then they can pick other things up. It's interesting. I'm curious to see whether the other companies kind of adopt something similar to what they're doing with their all with Xbox's all-access subscription. I don't know how many people are using it. My guess is probably not a ton. But it's an interesting preview, I think, of where they want to go. For sure. Well, I look forward to seeing what happens with the whole gaming model over the next few years. I think we have a bunch of changes coming, uh, largely being the fact that Stadia will die and be another Google service that will will be no more. But uh, no, seriously, I look forward to all of the changes that are going to come. And before we go, because I know we ha- we talked a lot about a few different news points. That's that's. The bulk of our conversation, I do want to quickly touch on two other things only because for the video viewer, they're on the sidebar. So I'll just quickly run through them. Uh, Number one, uh, Google has come out and said that they believe that uh, Chrome is more secure than Microsoft Edge, which now runs on Chromium. So if you didn't know that, the Edge has had it been completely overhauled to use Chromium. And Google is saying that Microsoft Edge isn't as secure as Chrome. And two... There is now a top 10 list 
for Netflix. Apparently, this is a feature that Chris was bringing to my attention that there is now a top 10 list row on the homepage if you want to see some of the most popular titles within a subscriber's country. So you can go ahead and discover some more content this way. I know that Chris was really, really surprised to see all of the content in there was rom-coms. I, I understand that your list was full of rom-coms. Wait, wait. The Witcher's a rom-com? <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't know this, we do stream the show live to Geeks Out Live on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time. We'd love to have you come by. We do have a chat room while we do go through this. Uh, and we like to interact with everybody there. We run live polls. And we also have very weird gifts that we send in the chat sometimes. So if you like to send gifts, come on by to Geeks Live on Monday at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, thanks, guys, for another successful show. Before we go, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? Let's start with you, Chris. Friendly reminder, there's a ton of awesome content here on the Gunning Geek Network. And if you like live content, you can go to Geeks.Live. If you're watching the show live right now, you're probably there. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. There is a calendar of all of our upcoming live events. So please come back, check out some of the other live content we have streaming here. SP? Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that everybody was in anticipation of my appearance on Homemade Astronauts and my water rocket launcher. I'm assuming that this is absolutely a podcast that you are doing. No, no, it's I'm I'm creating this this rocket with pressurized water and it's just gonna shoot out the back, you know, like those little rockets you did as a kid. I thought That's his new do. podcast was Adventures with Skunks. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, for episode three hundred and twenty-two of the officialgunnageek.com show. I'm Steven John Drew, or should I say I'm Apple John Drew. I'm SP saying you know who is a better gamer than Steven? Yeah, would be his brother David. See you guys next week. I don't know how to follow that up. Learn saying, uh, go follow Steven's brother on Twitch, twitch.tv slash bitefray. I'm so glad that you specified on Twitch because if you said follow <laughs> my brother, very, very odd. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>